chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. Hear God's word for us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church, and happy Super Bowl Sunday to everyone. So, so glad to see so many of you here, so many of you wearing red this morning. And so thanks for joining us uh, for worship together today. But as we continue in worship and now turn to hear God speak to us through his word, uh, would you bow your heads and pray with me and invite God to be speaking through me and to be speaking uh, among each of us as well. So would you, you pray with me? Uh, God, I thank you that you're already here among us and that you are within each and every one of us through your Holy Spirit. And God, we just invite you uh, to speak to us uh, through your word um, empower me to, to speak your word faithfully and accurately uh, today and open all of our eyes um, and ears and hearts to hear what you would have to say to us today, who, who you would reveal us to be and yourself to be uh, in particular this morning, and maybe respond to you um, appropriately. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, when I was in fourth grade, uh, my entire school went on a field trip to an amusement park, except for me. When I, you know, I was, when I was in school, they, we had this fundraiser that we were doing that year. I don't know if any of you all remember these fundraisers, but it's where, where the school has you and all the kids go around door to door to your neighbors, selling them random junk uh, to your friends and family and everyone, anyone else that you know uh, to raise money for the school. And the reward was for everyone who participated in this fundraiser, you'd be able to go on, on a school day with the rest of the school to an amusement park. Now, my family was in the United States for just one year in fourth grade, and we were, the reason we were in the United States was my family were missionaries in East Africa, and we had kind of run out of money, um, and, and our support had started to run dry. And so we were back in the United States for one year to try and raise support so that we could go back to the mission field. And so we were already asking all our friends and families uh, for, and, and people we knew for money, and so my parents didn't think it'd be appropriate for me to also be asking them to buy things for our school. But, so I didn't participate, and then finally the day finally came for, the, for us to go on the field trip. 
And everyone in my class went on a field trip except for me. <laughs> it is, it is. Although, my best friend in fourth grade, Matt Lowe, he saw that I was staying behind and wasn't able to go on the field trip, and he decided to not go on the field trip as well and stay back with me. And so we just spent the whole day on the playground playing make-believe World War II, running around, having a great time. And, and no one told Matt, and I didn't ask him, no one told him to stay back with me, but because he's my friend and he saw that I was left at school by myself, he said, no, I don't want Caleb, my friend, to be alone, and so I'm going to stay back with him. And it's almost 20 years later from when this happened, I don't think I've spoken to Matt in 15-plus years, but that story is such a core memory of mine. It's one that I still remember very distinctly to this day because that's what a true friend is. A true friend is someone who's there for you even when you're at your worst, even when no one else will be. And that's a question uh, that we ask all the time. And even, even as adults, I, I can still wonder, will someone be there for me even when life is at its worst? Even when I can't go on the, to the amusement park with the rest of everyone else, will there be someone to stay back with me? And that's the question that also the disciples are asking in this passage this morning. Is someone going to be with them when life is at its worst? You see, if you're just joining us this morning, we've been going through this series through John's gospel uh, called Behold Your King. And we've been seeing Jesus as our true and crucified king and who he's revealed himself to be. And right now in John's gospel, we're going through the part where Jesus is speaking to his disciples for the last time before he is arrested and taken to be crucified. And it's easy if we, if we read these passages with, without that context in mind. It can, it can sound like, or you can just imagine Jesus and his disciples just curled up uh, by a fire. It's very, uh, 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 yeah, they're, they're all warm by the fire and hearing Jesus just talk about all these wonderful theological truths. And it can be easy to read them so devotionally and kind of miss the context that's going on here, that Jesus has just told them, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, even you are going to forsake me and deny me three times. The rest of you are going to be scattered away. And as I speak, the evil one is coming for me right now. And if you get that context and you read these verses, you see the disciples, they're on the edge of their seat. They're wondering, what's happening next, Jesus? What are you talking about? Because Jesus is preparing his disciples for an incredibly traumatic event for them that's just about to happen. They're going to witness the person they've given their, their lives to follow, the one on whom they've set all their hopes to redeem and restore Israel. They're going to see this person be arrested and then brutally murdered right before their eyes. And they're going to be wondering, is anyone here for me? Where is God in the midst of this? Where is Jesus in the midst of this? But in this chaos that's about to unfold, Jesus tells these disciples, and he tells us as well today, that if you remain connected to Jesus and you stay close to him, no matter what you go through, you not only will, you, will it be all right if you're connected to Jesus, but even more than that, you'll actually bear fruit and you'll live a life of abundance that God has created you to live. So turn with me to John 15 as we see that today, that Jesus teaches his disciples and us as well this truth through giving us a metaphor that, that feels a little counterintuitive and a little paradoxical, this metaphor also of, of Jesus being the true vine gives us an invitation to relational intimacy and even friendship with Jesus that stays with us even when life is at its worth. So yeah, to turn with me to John chapter 15, and we'll first under, seek to understand that metaphor, uh, the vine, 
And then in the second half of our time together, in the second half of the passage, we'll see Jesus' invitation to relational intimacy and friendship with him. So first, this paradoxical metaphor, the vine. So this is a very common teaching method for Jesus. As a rabbi, he used everyday images from people's common life to explain deep spiritual truths to them. And, and he often took these metaphors, but turned them a little bit. He presented them as a bit of a paradox and showed in a counterintuitive way how this metaphor actually is an invitation to deeper life and intimacy with him. He did this in his teaching about the cross, taking an image of capital punishment and death and torture and turning it to an image of how we receive eternal life. He did this with the yoke, taking an image of oppression and subjugation and turning that into an image of freedom and restoration and the rest that we find in Jesus by following him. And he does that here as well with a vine, as we'll see as we go through. So in verse one of this passage, Jesus tells them, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus gives us this metaphor where he says that he is the true vine. Now it's important to note, to to focus on this word true here, that throughout the Old Testament, uh, God's people, Israel, were commonly referred to as a vine or a vineyard. And in some passages like Isaiah 5 and others, God pictures his people, Israel, as a vineyard. And Jesus here is saying, I am not just any vine or any vineyard, I'm the true vine. Because God shows the people of Israel in the Old Testament so that they would be his and they would be his vehicle and his his people that he would use on his mission to restore and redeem the whole world. And he was going to use this one people, Israel, to bless the whole world and show the whole world who God is like and, and how people can follow him. But Israel failed that mission because of their sin and rebellion against God. And Jesus is coming in saying, I am the true vine. I'm going to do what Israel was never able to do and be the source of blessing and life for all, uh, all the nations and peoples of the world. And also, since I am the true vine, the only way that you can be a part of that mission of restoring the world to the way God created it to be and experiencing that blessing and fruit is if you are connected to me. Because we are the branches. And in verse five, Jesus says that explicitly. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way we're able to bear fruit as Jesus' disciples is when we're connected to him, like a branch is connected to the vine. And I love this, how this last phrase is, 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 is put in John's gospel as he's writing in Greek. Because he, he uses a very intense way to negate something. He uses a double negative, which in English, if you use a double negative, it makes a positive. But in Greek, as John writes, apart from me, you cannot do nothing. He actually means that as a super negative. There's no way you can bear fruit or do anything unless you're connected to Jesus. Just like a branch only has life and only has the ability to bear fruit when it's connected to a living vine, only we, where we can only bear fruit when we're connected to Jesus. Now that that fruit that we're supposed to bear out of our intimacy and our connection to Jesus, it means many different things throughout scripture. Fruit, uh, ultimately though, as as, uh, Jesus tells us in verse eight, is what brings glory to God. Jesus says, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
that bearing fruit in all its different ways is, glorif- is whatever we do that glorifies God. So bearing fruit in scripture can, can, be, can refer to living a morally right life, living the way God created you to live and allowing the Holy Spirit inside you to produce the fruit of the Spirit. These are the Christ-like character attributes he causes to be formed within us, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit can also refer to how we join God in helping other people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and experience a relationship with him. Fruit is also used to describe our efforts to make sure the communities that we're a part of have just, um, are, are ordered justly and have fairness for everyone who's involved in those communities. Fruit is also used to describe the good works that we do to care for other people. And fruit is also used to describe even the material flourishing and the blessing that we have of being able to enjoy the good gifts God has given us in this world and produce good things from those that we and other people can enjoy. But ultimately, this fruit that's multifaceted in Scripture that these things that bring glory to God and, and live life the way that he created it to be, those are things that bring glory to God. And we can only bear those, we can only bear that kind of fruit when we're connected to Jesus. Now, the paradox in this, in this metaphor comes when Jesus describes how we go about becoming more fruitful. So in verse, in, back in verse one, he tells us again about how the father is the vine dresser and how he makes us more fruitful. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. See, Jesus describes his father as a gardener or vine dresser who prunes the branches of, of vines which means you know, cutting them back each year so that in the next year, they might be able to bear more fruit. Now, it's important to notice here that the gardener here cuts every branch, both the fruitful branches and the unfruitful branches come under the gardener's knife and are cut. The reason for this is this, this loss that, that pruning represents, the loss and pain and suffering that we all go through in life because we live in a broken and fallen world, that's going to touch every person alive. All of us don't have the choice whether or not to go through that pain and suffering and loss. But Jesus says that his father is the vine dresser and that he, he uses that loss and pain that we go through and he uses that as pruning to actually make us more fruitful. Because pruning is not just cutting away bad parts of a plant. If you've ever pruned a plant, you also have to cut off parts of the plant that show life, that are actually seem to be good. But in cutting those off, you enable the plant over time to be more fruitful and to grow into what it's supposed to be. And in a similar way, God uh, uses the pain, the evil, and the suffering that we all experience living in a broken, fallen world. He uses what people have meant for evil and he turns that for good and enables that to be used as something that produces more life and fruitfulness in us. I love how N.T. Wright, a biblical scholar, describes pruning so well, and he describes this with rose bushes. He says, a rose bush left to itself will get scraggly and tangled and grow in on itself. It'll produce quite a lot of not so good roses rather than a smaller number of splendid ones. It needs to grow in the right directions and to the right ends 
So you prune it to stop it wasting its energy and being unproductive. You cut out particularly the parts of the plant that are growing inwards and getting tangled up. You encourage the shoots that are growing outwards towards the light. You prune the rose, in other words, to help it be its true self. That is Jesus, and well, as God, the Father, uses the pain and suffering and loss we all experience, he uses that in a pruning way if we let him, where he's taking things, even though they are good, and allowing those to go away so that, not because he's vindictive or he hates us or wants to punish us, but because he wants us out of his love to be the kind of people he created us to be, to become our true selves in him. And I love how N.T. Wright continues describing this. He says, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. I know many of you are going through really intense suffering right now. I mean, we see your prayer requests each week. I can only imagine for the other, other ones of you also the pain that you must be experiencing in, in this life. And I think the lie that the devil and the enemy wants to tell us when we go through pain and suffering is that God is far from us because of that. That God, God must not love you or there must be something wrong about you that God's punishing. That's why you are experiencing this loss and pain. But that's just not true. That's a lie the enemy wants us to believe. Because the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. And as a reminder too, it's not as though God is the one directly causing this pain and suffering that you experience. That is caused by living in a broken, fallen world where sinful human beings are making choices to hurt one another and create systems and structures that reinforce that pain and brokenness that we experience. But God in his graciousness takes what human beings purpose for evil and he turns it for good and he enables it to prune us, to make us more into the people he made us to be. And, and for some, this, this, this cutting of the knife, it causes them to become more fruitful. But the passage also says that some of these other branches that get cut, the ones that aren't connected and abiding in Jesus, they wither and dry up and are ultimately thrown away into a fire and they burn up. The same knife cuts both, but for some it causes them to be more fruitful and for others it ends their life. And I, I'm sure you've seen, and, and this is something that happens across our lives, that the same suffering can happen to two different people. And for one, the suffering makes them grow more bitter, makes them grow more resentful and hurtful towards other people. And I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. That if we don't let our pain become transformed by God's grace, we're just gonna transfer that pain onto other people. But the exact same pain and suffering, another person goes through it, and instead of becoming more bitter and resentful, that same suffering makes them more caring, more compassionate, more tender, more genuinely human. Why is, why is that the case? Why does the same suffering lead to two completely different outcomes in people's life? And that's why Jesus tells us here what the difference is. It's that the branches that are abiding and remaining in him are the ones that bear much fruit. That's why he gives us this invitation through this metaphor. He says in verse four, abide in me and I in you. Just as, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
So Jesus gives us this invitation. Since he is the true vine, we only bear fruit as our branches connected in him. And through our pain, God is using that to prune us, to make us more of what he created us to be. Jesus' invitation is to us, the difference between those two kinds of suffering is if you're abiding in me or not. Well, what, is that, what does that look like for us? Because that word abide, it's a real churchy word. The only time we use that word, even in church, is when we talk about John 15. But really, this word abide, it can also be translated as remain with or stay with. It's ultimately a word inviting us to have relational intimacy with Jesus. And there's, there's three ways that Jesus explains in the rest of this passage what abiding in him looks like. And we're gonna go through that together now. So the first thing that abiding in Jesus means from this passage is, finding, is, to, is to find joy in obeying Jesus. Because often the first thing that goes in suffering is obedience. Either, um, you know, if you've had a really long day and you're stressed or, or you're, or you're um, not feeling great, it can be so easy to say, you know what, I've had an awful day or an awful week. I deserve this. I deserve to indulge myself in whatever way that is for you because I am hurting right now, so I deserve to use this thing to feel this, to, to, to numb this pain that I'm going through. Or you may think, you know, these other people, what they've done to me and how they've treated me, they deserve to be treated in this way because of the pain they've inflicted on me. Or if, if, if we keep obedience in our pain and suffering, we lose the joy. We, we clench our fists and we white knuckle our way through obedience, doing what God wants us to do. But all the while, we're just looking up at God resentfully and saying, don't you see what I'm doing, God? Why, can't, why aren't you respond, doing something in response to the obedience that I'm giving you? But Jesus says, he invites us to do something different when we're in our loss. In verse nine, he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. See, Jesus wants us to obey him, not because of anything that he needs to get from us, what he needs us to do for him, but he wants us to obey him to find joy. Because Jesus is the one who created us. He created life. He is, he is the author of it. He knows the way life is supposed to be lived. And ultimately, he wants us to obey him because obeying him leads to joy in the long run. Because those things are ultimately good for us. And also, just as I said earlier, God's pruning of us and his desire to see us obey him through our suffering, it's to make us into the fullness of what he's made us to be. It's to make us like, like a rose bush as you prune it to make it be its true self. Jesus' pruning of us and his call for us to obey him in our suffering is to make us into what he always intended for us to be, for us to be our true selves. Also, abiding in Jesus it means delighting in obedience because we love Jesus. That Jesus tells us here, if you love me, keep my commandments. As Gabe said last week, Jesus' primary love language is obedience. And just like in any other relationship, when you want to love someone, and if you do truly love someone, you find out how that person receives love. And you try to, to act towards that person in a way that they can receive the love that you want to give them. And Jesus tells us here, if you love me, remain in my love and obey my commandments as an expression of your love for him. But this only can be possible, this, this, this finding joy and obeying Jesus, it can only be possible when we first recognize 
Jesus' love for us first. Which is why the second way that we abide is that we embrace friendship with Jesus. Let me read verse 14 where Jesus tells us. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You see, if a really good friend, well, asks you to do something, you do it because you love that friend. Now let me explain this this word friend a little more here, because I think we really misunderstand this term in our modern culture. You know, friendship almost means nothing today in 21st century America. In in a culture where we all have thousands of friends on social media, um, and, and, and a friend essentially means someone that you remember their name, you don't hate them, maybe you'll say hi to them when you walk by them. That is, and, and in a culture too where we idolize and we elevate romantic relationships above every other kind of relationship, we are so far away from what Jesus means when he calls us his friends here. In, in ancient Israel, and in actually most cultures around the world even today, friendship is one of the most intimate and deepest forms of relationship that you can know. I grew up in a similar culture in East Africa where, where grown men would walk down the street holding hands as an expression of their friendship. It wasn't romantic uh, or anything like that, but as an expression of their friendship, it was natural to see two grown men holding hands who were friends. And in our culture, we so devalue that. So when you see here, hear Jesus say that I call you my friend, don't think friend is in Facebook friend or friend is in someone I maybe say hi to on a good, on a good day. Think deep. Dear, close, intimate, close friend, best friend. Because that's what Jesus means for us to know. And if your really good friend asks you to do something, you do it as an expression of your love and friendship for that person. Now, this is a totally different relationship and a totally different way of, of obedience than if your boss asks you to do something. Right? If your boss asks you to do something and you do it, you're doing it so you still have a job and you get a paycheck. Unless maybe you're lucky like me and your boss is also a good friend and then, you know, you you obey also out of your love for him. But for most of us, we aren't aren't as lucky as I am. But what Jesus is saying here is don't obey me like I'm your boss and you're my employee. Obey me or do what I ask you to do because I'm your friend. And another way that we embrace friendship with Jesus and let this truth become real to us is we need to remember that Jesus is not our friend by either coincidence or convenience. That Jesus is not your friend from coincidence or convenience. Jesus here in verse 16, he says, I'm not your friend from convenience. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Jesus chose you to be his friend. And we all have those friendships that we're only friends with those people coincidentally. We just so happen to work with them. We just so happen to go to school with them or live by them. And then then there are intentional friendships where someone makes the intentional effort to get to know you and to know you personally, not just because it's easy and it's, it's convenient to be your friend, That's the kind of friendship that Jesus has with us. As Jesus says that I chose you to be my friend. Just think about that. 
the creator of the whole universe, as Paul says in, 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 first, in Ephesians 1, before anything existed, he chose you to be his friend. And this is not just some abstract fact. This applies to each person here in this room. That before anything existed, before there was anything at all, God imagined Wendy and he said, I want you to be my friend. Before anything existed, before there was even a universe, God imagined Jim and said, Jim, I want to be your friend. And I could say that for each person here in this room who believes in Jesus, that before anything ever existed, God imagined you and thought of you and said, I want to be your friend. Not because of, of, of accident, but because I want that. We're also not friends with Jesus by convenience. In verse 13, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. See, it wasn't an easy thing for Jesus to become our friend. That because of our sin and our rebellion against God, Jesus had to die to make that friendship happen for us. And we've all had those friends, I'm sure, who are, who are only friends with us when it's easy, when it's, when it's simple to be our friend. There's a whole other level of friendship when you have a friend who's going to stick it with you, even when it's hard, even when you're not the most fun person to be around, they're still there for you. That's the kind of friend that Jesus is to each of us. Because he wanted to be friends with you so much that he even went and died for you. And we may think, right, as, as we're going through this pain or suffering, that if, if only, if only, whatever problem I'm facing right now, if that just went away, then everything would be just fine. But actually, I think even deeper than that, what we're really asking is not, when will this problem or pain go away, but who is it that's going to be with me through it? Because, I mean, even in my own example, when I was in fourth grade, I did not get to go to that amusement park with the rest of my friends. But just because my friend Matt wanted to stay back with me, we could play uh, Make Believe World War II on the playground, it was fine. We were all right because I was close. I was together with a really close friend. That's the kind of friend that Jesus is for us. He delights to be with us and draw near to us even when we're at our lowest. He's not going to leave us there. Because not only does Jesus want us to obey him even as we're going through suffering, but Jesus wants us to spend time with him as a good friend does. Jesus' other love language is quality time. He doesn't just want us to obey him. He wants to spend time with us. That's what he is saying here when inviting us to abide in him and abide in his love and in his word. He's telling his disciples, even though I'm not going to be physically present with you anymore, I'm not leaving you alone because even the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send to you is going to make me, my presence, a live reality inside you. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to still be with you. And so Jesus is inviting us as well to continue to remain in him and be aware of his presence within us through praying and having an ongoing dialogue with him, through reading his word through scripture and hearing him speak to us, through even just being aware, as we did earlier this morning, of his presence for us through whatever we're going through. Jesus wants to spend time with you like a good friend does. But not only does abiding mean spending time with Jesus because he's our friend and embracing friendship with him, and also through that, being able to find joy in obeying Jesus. The third thing that abiding in Jesus means from our passage, it means to love Jesus' friends. 
You see, when, when, when suffering and pain come along for us, it becomes so easy to push other people away. You push other people out of our life because you don't, you don't want to show the pain or mess that we're in. But that's why Jesus, when, when he's talking this whole paragraph from 12 to 17 about us being his friends, he begins and ends this paragraph with, asking, with telling us to love one another. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then in verse 17, he concludes the section by saying, these things I command you so that you will love one another. You see, have you ever had the situation happen where you have like a really good friend of yours who doesn't get along with another really good friend of yours? Or maybe you try to mix friend groups that just don't get along very well and how frustrating that can be for you personally. That's what happens and, and, and yet, despite that, we, we do that all the time with Jesus. We do that all the time with Jesus' other friends that we don't get along with them, and those are other Christians, other people in this room today. But then, on the other hand, have you ever had this situation happen where you, you meet someone who's a total stranger, and through the course of conversation, you figure out that you share a really good friend in common with them? Doesn't that just like immediately boost the level of trust that you have for this person just because you so happen to share a common friend. And, and every person in this room who believes in Jesus shares a best friend. I just want to invite you, just look around this room. Just look around other people here. It might feel awkward, but just look at other people, people next to you, look, look at them in the face and just see other people. You are looking at other people who are friends of your best friend, that you share a mutual friend in common with every believer here today. And that's how Jesus shows us his love in many ways, even when we're at our lowest, that Jesus is present through the Holy Spirit and other believers. And he wants us to draw close to one another and be used by him to show support and love and encouragement to other people who are in hard situations. That's what Jesus wants his disciples to do. That's, what he's telling, that's why he's telling them this here, because he's about to leave them and he wants them to not fight one another and pull away from another, but, but pull together and love one another. And he wants us today to do the same thing as well with one another. I love how, how C.S. Lewis puts it. He, he says, and I agree with this, that the holiest thing that you will experience in this life is your Christian brother or sister. The most holy thing you experience in this life is your Christian brother and sister because God through his Holy Spirit is dwelling inside them. That you are encountering the living God each time you encounter another believer. And, that, and since that is true, we should draw close to one another. Even when things are hard, we should, we, should, we should lean in to community and to friendship with each other. And even when things are hard in someone else's life, that's the call for us to be the kind of friend that Jesus is to us, to those other Christians in our community who are suffering and struggling. Jesus calling us to step up and step into their lives and show his love to them, the love that we've received to show that to each other. Now, as we get ready to conclude here in a little bit, I just want to share with you one, one story of someone in my life who I think has shown this really well. It's about my jaja. Now, you might not know what the word jaja is, but that is Luganda for grandma. Um, my grandmother, uh, Jan Tarbit, she lived with me and my family uh, while we were growing up. Um, and, and we were living in Uganda. That's why I call her jaja. Now, the reason that she lived with me and my, my family is because she was actually separated from my grandfather for a number of years. And so since she wasn't able to be with him, she came over across the world and stayed with me and my family in Africa for a number of years. 
And those just few years my grandmother spent living in our home have had just a huge, tremendous impact on my spiritual life. Uh, my grandmother, w- uh, she homeschooled my, my siblings and I. That's me looking away and my older sister <laughs> over there. Um, she homeschooled us when we were kids. Uh, she would tuck us into bed most nights. She'd, she'd pray with us. She'd sing hymns to us, uh, read scripture to us. She's the reason I love C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia because she would read that to me as a little kid. And she also served with my parents um, at the church we, we started, and she mentored and cared for so many people in that church. Now, what was really crazy to me, a few, that, I, that struck me a few years ago, um, when, she, when she passed away and went home to be with Jesus, is when news broke that she had passed all over Facebook, I saw all these posts from these Christian leaders in Uganda talking about how much of an impact my grandmother had on their lives. You see, at this time we were in Uganda, it was right after a civil war, and it was right in the middle of the AIDS epidemic as well in the 90s and early 2000s. And most of the country, I think almost half the country was under 25. Like there there weren't elders, there weren't older people, so many people had lost their parents through that. And all these church leaders in Uganda who are running churches and organizations were posting about how much my mother or my grandmother was like a mother to them, like the mother they never had which is crazy when I think about it, that the only time they knew her was when she was at the lowest point of her life, experiencing the most pain and suffering and trauma she probably experienced in the course of her life, being separated from her husband for a number of years. I don't think it was any accident that she was the most fruitful in, in, in certain ways that she was over her entire life when she was going through that intense suffering. Because despite the pain that she had experienced, Um, An abandonment she had felt from others. She stayed rooted and connected to Jesus in an intimate relationship with him. And she allowed uh, God to use that pain and pruning to make her more fruitful. She responded in tenderness and compassion and grace to those she interacted with instead of growing bitter and resentful. And that showed to people. People saw and could tell that things weren't great for my grandmother, but they still saw the love and care that she offered and that made it mean so much more. And she had a fruitful, lasting legacy despite the pain that she was going through in that season. And that's what Jesus wants to do with each and every one of us here. That despite the pain that we might be going through and the loss we may be feeling, Jesus wants us to draw near to him through that, to abide in him, to to, to find joy and still obeying him even when it's hard to embrace that he's our friends, not, not just not by accident or because it's easy, but because he deeply, deeply loves us and allow that love to flow out of us to how we love one another as Jesus' friends. And so let's, let's do that. Let's do this, that same thing. Let's trust God to show up as we are seeking to stay rooted in him, even through our lowest points, because he is with us. So let's, let's pray to close uh, today now. But as, as we're praying to close, I'm gonna invite us to practice this abiding that we talked about together for about a minute. I'm gonna invite you into a silent prayer. So if you just wanna bow, bow your heads and close your eyes and just find, find a, a comfortable posture of prayer, I'm gonna give you a few moments to just focus on, uh, focus on God and drawing into his presence and giving thanks for his love for you. And I'll give you a few prompts along the way as we go. So just focus in on God now. And as you're focusing on God, I also invite you to 
to identify where in your life do you feel like you're at your lowest? Where in your life do you feel like you're in pain? It may be a relational struggle, that may be a physical pain you're experiencing, emotional pain, whatever, wherever you feel alone right now, I just want to invite you to silently name that to God as we're sitting in silence now. And as you're thinking about whatever that is, wherever you are that's feeling alone, I want you now to imagine with me Jesus telling you by name, I chose you to be my friend. I chose you to be my friend. that no matter what you're going through, that Jesus has intentionally chosen you to be his friend. He is going to be with you in it. Let me pray to close this time of prayer together. God, we thank you that you are our friend, that we can call you friend, and that you have chosen each and every person here who follows you. And God, I ask that you continue to show to each of us where you are our friends and that you are with us even when we don't experience that or notice that. But I ask you to reveal your presence to each person here and draw us in to abide in you even in the pain. Lord Jesus, we love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.